You're listening to Career Up Now's Socially Distanced Close-Ups Israel Edition, where college students and young professionals interview the leaders who are shaping the face of Israel today. Let's jump in on the conversation. Please share with me your brief story of how you got to where you are today. I actually began to be- get interested in water issues, specifically when I was studying my master's degree in Israel at the mm-hmm. Ben-Gurion University. And that's because I wanted to get into the environmental studies field. And I was thinking, well, what's probably the most urgent environmental problem facing Israel and the Middle East region? And very quickly, I realized that the biggest problem we faced was water, given that we are in a arid region and we have very limited water supply and the demand for water is growing. So that was the beginning of my interest in getting involved in water and water-related work. And so I went on after my studies in Israel to do a PhD in resource ecology, management and policy with a focus on water in the United States, where I got my PhD at the University of Michigan. And then I returned to Israel after I got my PhD to where I am now, at my current position at the Arava Institute, where I work in the field of water, mostly focusing on transboundary or cross-border issues pertinent to Israel and to neighbors. I recently took a food and environment class and we learned about water issues. And I definitely think the solution to many of our problems lies in, lies in water. So I think it's a great area to focus on. Can you name a teaching moment for you, whether that was a mistake or something that made you reassess the work you were doing? Well, I've been teaching in this area of water resources management, but also more generally environmental policy for for about 20 years, I suppose. Uh, I don't know about a moment. I can't think of a moment specifically, but I think one thing that is really amazing for me when I I think about my work as an educator, as a lecturer, it doesn't matter who you are as a student, your background, your interests, your academic standing, everybody can relate to water because it's the most basic resource. So I sometimes like to start off my class by asking the students a question where I would say something along the lines like, if you ran out of water, what would you replace it with? And the answer is, there is no replacement, right? Whatever you think that you are replacing it with, it's basically water at the end of the day. So uh, that always gets people to really think, wow, this is really important. If we run out of water, it's really a life or death issue. And so it's those kinds of moments uh, that really sort of get things moving in terms of the all the issues that we then cover throughout a semester. That's great. I think it's a really good way to put it in perspective for people. What is one core value that guides your life? I think a core value for me is, especially when you work in a transboundary setting, and especially in Israel with respect to the very difficult political relations we have with our neighbors, you really have to have a degree of empathy when you're relating to people that you may disagree with on other issues, like on politics, for example. You have to be able to find the common ground when it comes to dealing with water issues, because, you know, relating to the previous point, everybody needs it. It doesn't matter whether you like them or agree with them or whatever. So I think you have to really be empathetic, and you also have to be modest to a certain degree you know, I always try to not come across as, you know, the expert and the one that knows everything. Because a lot of my work focuses with communities and grassroots work, I might have all the degrees, let's say, or, but, you know, the people on the ground are the ones that are the real experts. So we really need to defer to them in many cases and learn from them as much as they may learn from us. Modesty and empathy. That's great. It makes sense. There's different kinds of knowledge that you're sharing with each other. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I think the best piece of advice I've received is to really be open to differences of opinions and not to be very narrowly locked into one way of thinking and to really listen as much as you would like to be speaking. Sometimes listening is more important than speaking. What do you wish you had known before you got started? 
For me, it was a, a progression. I didn't, when I first started out in my career, I actually wasn't thinking about water at all. I was actually much more involved in environmental conservation issues and wildlife management and ecology. And I sort of transitioned into water, you know, when I started to think seriously of a, of a career and, and graduate study. So I don't know, I think the thing that I do realize is, in hindsight, is that when you work in my field, you really are more of a generalist than a specialist. Uh, and most universities try to sort of push you into being an expert in one field. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't really work, especially uh, in water and also in environmental issues. So maybe if I realized that earlier, it would have maybe made things slightly easier because I have my own levels of expertise, but you really have to be able to communicate effectively across a multitude of, di of disciplines um, when it comes to dealing with uh, water issues because it transects everything. That's definitely hard. I can, I, as a university student, I can feel the push to be the master in one thing of everyone exactly, in the world. Yeah, and, and, that, and that, that gets even more problematic when you get into graduate study because you're saying, okay, you're going to be choosing a, a thesis and a research topic and especially in the sciences, you sort of push to be an expert, you know, a narrow field. And I think that, you know, in today's world, having a narrow focus could actually turn out to be a disadvantage, not an advantage. Definitely. What do you want the world to know about Israel? Well, I'll relate only to from my expertise, right? I think Israel is a really good model for the world on how to think quite proactively with respect to how to manage water in the future. And, and what do I mean? I mean that one thing that I've realized over the years is there's a growing vulnerability across the world to water supplies because of climate change. So as the climate is changing around the world, the impact on water resources is huge. And what this basically means is it makes the predictability of water more problematic. Uh, and a good example of this is agriculture. If you're a farmer and you are dependent on rainfall to grow your crops, and you expect the rain to come at a certain time of year so you know when to plant, when to harvest. When those rains now come at different times of the year because of climate change is impacting seasonality of water availability, you are very much uh, going to be impacted, especially if you are a farmer that lacks access to technologies or alternative sources of water, which is most of the world. I'm thinking here of uh, especially Africa and, and India and other places in terms of the, the kinds of agriculture that are there. So what Israel, I think, can share with the world is Israel understands that and has overcome the growing unpredictability of water by investing heavily in non-conventional water supply. And when I mean non-conventional, I mean two areas of expertise. The one is in desalination. So Israel today is the world leader in desalination for um, drinking water. We produce about 70% of our domestic water from desalination. So we don't have to worry too much about increasing uh, levels of drought, for example. We're not going to run out of water. And the other area, which I think is even more impressive than desalination, is to understand that wastewater has a value once you can treat it. And if you can treat wastewater sewage, you can reuse it. And you can reuse it effectively in agriculture. So Israel's shift to non-conventional water has now put Israel in a position, unlike any other country, where whether or not we go into a long-term drought, whether or not it's a climate change-induced drought or not, we won't be impacted as much as other countries because we have alternative sources of, of water. And I think that's an important message that we can project to the rest of the world. It's a great message. In the little time I spent reading about water in my one class, I remember hearing about how our stigma with wastewater is like a major block in, in that being as successful and widely spread. And I think that that stigma is real. You're right. It is an issue, but it has to be overcome. Right. Because at the end of the day, there is a growing realization. Also in the United States, I do work also in the U.S., that wastewater reuse is going to become an essential part 
of our water management options. It's unavoidable. Right. Um, I'm interested in what challenges or opportunities the pandemic presented for your work or your industry. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I've recently gotten involved in quite an exciting new avenue of research. And this is what is being now generally titled, it relates to wastewater, it's been generally titled as wastewater epidemiology. I don't know if you've picked this up in the media, but basically uh, research has been done where you can identify the COVID-19 virus in wastewater. Wow. So for example, if you're infected with the virus and you are either sick or not sick, you are going to shed that virus into the sewage when you go to the toilet. And we can pick up that virus, we can sample it in the sewage, we can identify that it's there, and then we can track which of the populations are being infected by how much virus there is in the sewage. So this is becoming a really, really exciting avenue of research. There's some really cool projects going on, and we recently got funding to do this work here in Israel and also in Palestinian territories. It's a much more efficient way to track the spread of the disease, and it's more economical too, and even more accurate because Today, the way that we track the infection is to test people. But you only test people who are sick, and you only test people who actually go and seek to get tested. But most of the people carrying the virus, especially young people, don't even know they're sick, but yet right. they're spreading the disease. But yeah. they will shed the virus in the sewer. So we can pick up both the asymptomatic and symptomatic individuals in the population, and then we can give that data to the authorities who can then identify and focus on which populations are at high risk, versus which populations are at a low risk. And then you can say, okay, we will put, let's say, a lockdown or a restriction in the high-risk areas, but the rest of the population can be open. So instead of just giving a blanket lockdown, which is what right. everybody's been doing with huge economic consequences, you could be more targeted in where and how you would try to manage the disease. This is a really interesting and exciting new area that's opened up uh, in the face of trying to better manage the, the pandemic. That's awesome, especially when you're talking about getting the problems with testing and the people who go and how small the percentage is that we should be really... Exactly. So when you read in the newspaper or on the internet, the coronavirus statistics, they are vastly inaccurate because those numbers are only telling you who's been tested. When they say, you know, oh, it's 100,000 people, that's 100,000 people that have been tested. Yeah. It's not to say that it's 100,000 people that are infected. Yeah. It's a huge difference between yeah. that. So we really don't know. There's still a huge lack of information. Bringing in the wastewater angle helps us to improve our, our data collection and our, and our right. overall general understanding of how to manage a disease such as this. Right. And how else can we move forward without having all the data that we need? Right. The more, data, the more data, the better, but it has to be collected correctly. It has to be analyzed appropriately. It has to be properly and scientifically assessed. Right. For our last question, and our last question is, if a college student or young professional were moving to Israel, what would be your advice to them? That's a very broad question. If it's a student, well, there's two things maybe that they would be thinking about. Either they're moving to Israel because they want to study, or they're moving to Israel because they want to immigrate. If they're thinking, my suggestion would be, if you're thinking about coming to Israel to immigrate, to make Aliyah, my strongest suggestion is, if you're studying in the United States or anywhere, complete your studies first. Come to Israel with a degree. It makes a huge difference. Uh, there's a lot of value in Israel for American uh, college degrees. So it'll certainly help you in your, uh, in your job prospects. So that would really be advice. If you're thinking about coming, don't come in, in an academic program, complete your studies. If you have already completed your studies, then my advice is uh, do as much networking as you can before you come. 
try to think about, okay, you know, I'm going to move to a new country, a new language, a new culture, everything mm. is different. And so having some kind of a network already in place for career opportunities, for living opportunities can really, really help as much as is possible. But it's not an easy thing to do. But people succeed. I succeeded. <laughs> so, and I think it's a very brave thing for a young person to consider, you know, moving to a foreign country. But Israel is very well set up to accept young people, especially well-educated young people. The, the high-tech sector is very dynamic in Israel and very innovative, and there's a lot of opportunity, very competitive. But there's a lot of opportunity, and especially if you have an engineering degree or anything related to computers or IT, which includes relating to water, by the way. And there's a lot of companies now that are in the water sector, but from a software side, developing different types of programs and algorithms to, to better manage water. So there's a lot of opportunities. It's a very dynamic place. It's very competitive. It's a very different culture. But if you're young and dynamic and charismatic, um, you'll make a success. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and wisdom with us on Career Up Now's Social Distance Close-Up podcast. I specifically enjoyed the angle which you address water resource management and the perspective you have in terms of valuing empathy and listening as like crucial parts of your work along with the studies and great and very well qualified <laughs> degrees that you have and I really enjoyed talking with you and wish you the best in the future. Well thank you and uh, best of luck to you too and good luck with uh, the future and, and best of luck with the, with the podcast program. Thank you. Okay. Bye, Clive. Have a good day. All right. Bye then. See you. Signing off. Bye-bye.